Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and I'm here with Matt Leach. Matt, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Although we are recording this at 6pm and I'm still wearing my pyjamas. I'm definitely picking up a few bad habits living under COVID. Although, having said that, I've taught class today, had client meetings, even been in a marketing workshop and I don't think anyone knew. How are you doing? Yeah, also in my Jimmy Jams. Um, that's very impressive <laughs> that you can do all this uh, all this stuff uh, while wearing Ugg boots. Um, I saw, yeah, I've been doing a lot of live streaming. That's all I've been doing, uh, 16 weeks in. Um, wow, yeah. That, yeah. Um, that, that's life these days. Uh, I see that you've also been doing Instagram live videos, talking with people. We actually did one together at one point. But yeah, how they're managing and working during lockdown, which has been awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. I'm doing it through Foundry's IGTV and it's also on Vimeo. I'll put the address in the show notes. But um, yeah, it's been speaking to Reese from the company you keep, which was fun. And then a few weeks ago, I caught up with Craig Black and it's always good to talk to Craig. We spoke a lot about the work he's been doing with Rangers Football Club. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I saw that as well. I absolutely loved it. I do love me some Craig Black um, and his work. He's a great guy. Uh, yeah, some great videos that show how it all comes together. Like Craig's type is amazing, of course, as you would expect. You know, traditional mix with the modern. Worth checking out if you're into type and also if you're into football. Yeah, true. It's uh, it was amazing for him because it was such a lifelong dream. But before we go any further, uh, we should mention all the webinars that Streamtime's also been doing. They're our esteemed sponsor. And so if you go to Streamtime website on the homepage, there's a link named Watch and Learn, and that'll take you to all their webinars that they've been doing. There are all sorts of things like about maximizing your business during lockdown. Today's one was all about improving client profitability, uh, unpacking best practices and negotiating pricing, and you know, I guess setting up your client relationships for success from the very start. Yeah, it's what I love about Streamtime. It's all about like supporting it as a business. It's like it, they just happen to make software, which yeah. is super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen some of the ones about like running your studio from home, which is something a lot of people have just kind of been thrown into, uh, which is hard enough to do when you're planning to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people just, you know, obviously happen overnight um, and, you know, how to maintain your mental health. Lots of stuff about mental health, obviously, with the relationship with Nevenoff Creative as well. Really worthwhile stuff. Um, yeah. certainly worth checking out. Yeah, they're really quick as well. Like most of them about 30 minutes, perfect for watching while you're eating lunch, or in my case, having another tea and donut break. I really need to do more exercise. There are some really good ones coming up too. So energy and potential in your business, I think that's next week, and then getting paid on time, that's in a few weeks' time. Oh my God, getting paid on time. Yes, please. <laughs> um, the nice thing is they are all recorded, so you can watch them when you're ready. Check them out. And if you haven't tried Streamtime as well, make sure you download their free trial, see what it's all about. It's a great time to do that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, Matt, who do we have on this episode? On this episode, we have Monique Kniepkins from Carbon Creative, which is based in Brisbane. Monique was born and raised in the Netherlands before coming to Australia. She's worked in design studios and advertising agencies before founding her own boutique design studio called Fries Need Mayonnaise. That was in 2010. So we get a little bit into that into this episode. And, but firstly, I need your opinion. Do you actually think fries need mayonnaise? I don't know. I wouldn't feel that they need them. In fact, I don't think <laughs> I would put fries on mayonnaise, but it's See, a cool name. This is why we're friends. So in 2015, Monique joined Carbon Creative team as their creative director. Carbon Creative was founded by Wayne Denning in 2006, and it's a super interesting studio. They're committed to driving social change, helping shine a spotlight on Indigenous artists and designers, and a lot of their clients are in that space. They are also 100% Indigenous owned and operated. So we talk a bit about that and look at some of the work that's had a big impact on Monique. Yeah, it was a shame. I wasn't personally able to get to talk to Monique, but it sounded like Morella from Vertigo uh, and Womantel did a really good job. Awesome. Yeah, the day we recorded this, Melbourne was just entering their second lockdown. 
And that's where Morella is based. So she wasn't overly happy about being isolated, but she did an amazing job. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, we're in New South Wales and, you know, depending on when you're hearing this, it looks like we might be in that same position too. So, you know, it's a, a new normal, as they say, um, and things are ready to change at any moment. So, um, yeah, but, you know, I guess we don't get that much opportunity to talk directly with you all and just want to say, stay safe. We'll get through it, wear a mask. But hey, should we jump into this episode? Absolutely. But before we do, in this episode, we spoke a little bit about the work that Carbon did for the SBS inclusion program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. For anyone who's interested, I just heard back from SBS and the course is now being offered for $30 plus GST per person. So check it out and I hope you enjoy. So before we go any further, how are you? And I'm, I'm talking about COVID, I guess. Like, how are you surviving COVID? Well, I'm good. The numbers are very low in Queensland. So life has kind of returned back to normal after, you know, the homeschool and the kids are back at school and we're all back in the studio. So that all feels normal. I'm doing okay other than the mental uh, issues, I guess, that come with it because my family's all in the Netherlands and I feel very much cut off from that, from them. So I have, I have no idea what's happening in the Netherlands. Is, are they, are they having, are, they're not doing the same sort of thing as Sweden, are they? No, no, they're not. They, they have had their kind of, I guess, very similar to what we've been doing. Um, so the numbers are a lot lower than what you would see in, I guess, Italy and some of those really, really bad countries, but um, it's still, a lot worse than here so yeah essentially the borders are obviously closed and i was supposed to go over in december and now i probably won't be um yeah right. so it's just that that idea that i can't go back i've been here in australia for 15 years now and i've always knew that you know as long as i had enough money in my bank account i could go back whenever i wanted to and yep. i feel like the contract has changed all of a sudden and i didn't really get it to say so yeah it's it's pretty rough when you just get cut off like that my mother-in-law lives in England and she's selling her house and, and kind of putting everything into um, packing everything, basically. My wife was going to go back yeah. and obviously she, she can't. Yeah. Um, and so exactly the same sort of feeling. She feels very cut off, very um, unable to help. But, I mean, we're, we're living in a pretty good space because, Morella, you've just gone back into lockdown. Yes, as of today. <laughs> how, how are you finding that? Um really challenging to be honest I know there's so much to be grateful for of course and so many people have have it um, worse than what I do right now but it's very challenging both from a work point of view running a business as well as a mental health point of view because I've just joined a gym a couple of weeks ago um, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I was really getting into it and I, I was loving it because of all the COVID, the first lockdown, all that snacking. So um, I thought, okay, gym's open. I'll I'll go sort this out and really getting into it. And it boosted just everything, like my creativity as well as my mental health. And now it's just gone mm. back into lockdown. Um, and also it's affected the business as well. We have a, a lot of clients in retail um, and hospitality and they've had to go back into lockdown and just offering takeaway and, and delivery when they just opened up their restaurants and their wow. establishments. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's really it's yeah. really horrible. And look, for anyone listening outside of Australia, if you don't know what we're talking about, Morella's in Victoria and they've just gone back into lockdown. I'm in New South Wales, we're still okay and obviously Monique's in Brisbane and Queensland, so um which are probably better off than anyone. Yeah, we're lucky sort of. we're lucky here at the moment. Yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> it's that's rough. Mm. Yeah. What what's it like being back in the studio though, Monique? It's like I guess uh, did is there things that you've picked up from all working remotely that you've been able to bring back into the studio, like positive things? Yeah, I think we realised we can all work remote, and I I think at times my productivity was quite high at home because you don't have the same interruptions of people just you know popping in to say hi or having a quick chat. Yeah. Um, but then, although although you did have the kids, yeah, then that was an issue. Yes, <laughs> I had a few blissful weeks where they went back to school and I could work from home, and that was really nice. But yeah, once they were, while yeah. they were there, that was yeah, not very productive. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird though because you kind of get used to working from home, and then you all come back to the studio, and that feels really weird for a few weeks. But now that this feels normal again, so yeah, yeah. So how many weeks have you been back, everyone in the studio? Well, we had a stagger coming back. So I don't. I think I may have been back for about four weeks now. Um, but the design team was the last team to come back. So the other people have been back for maybe six or seven weeks. Yeah. The one thing I really want to know is, is, is the office dog back? Yes, yes. George is here. <laughs> <laughs> He's the emotional support dog. <laughs> very good. He's very cute. You mentioned the Netherlands before, so you're you were born there and you studied design in Amsterdam. So how did you end up in Australia on the other side of the world? Yes, yeah, so I I I did study um, art direction and design in Amsterdam, and then um, a bit more in the Hague. Um, the reason why I ended up here is um, after I graduated, I really wanted to do some travels through Europe by myself and as I was doing that I met an Aussie guy and that's how I met uh-huh. up <laughs> yes <laughs> yes tell us all it's the time <laughs> It's it's actually the Design Network of Australia sending out potential partners to like entice talented designers to come to Australia. There you go. Well, it was actually um, he he wasn't a designer. He was a lovely lovely guy. We had a few really great years together, but then we went separate ways. And um, yeah, my current partner is a is a designer, photographer, retoucher in in Australia as well. So he's the one that kept me here in the end. <laughs> Very good. Oh. What what was it that attracted you to art direction and design? Well, I I just always liked to draw. So I had this childhood dream that I was going to be working at Disney. And then as you grow a little bit older and out of the Disney movies, I decided uh, graphic design was very interesting. Um, I absolutely adore Dutch um, Dutch design and especially Dutch graphic designs. There's some really inspirational designers out there, and just you know, seeing the the posters, um, the other posters, book covers, all that stuff done there, it's really inspirational. So I wanted to be part of that, I guess. Um, and yeah, the art direction came in because I really um, really liked the concept side of things so I didn't want to just make it look nice I really like that um idea driven design so when you say art direction is that did you actually move into advertising I did I did um originally so yeah I, I think the first few years of my career were very much in ad agencies and 
after a while, I decided that advertising isn't really my thing. I like the concept thinking, but the advertising <laughs> isn't really my thing. So I, it's so funny, like because I we just saw your face there. Yeah, and as you were talking about advertising, there was like a drop yes. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I it just didn't. Yeah, I kind of knew it all along, but um, you know, it was kind of cool at the same time, and I I am happy I did it because I learned a lot. Um, but yeah, my real passion was always um, design. You started your own studio called Fries Need Mayonnaise, which they do. Um, uh, I just, when... I'm not sure about that. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. You're, you're outnumbered. Um, <laughs> when and why did you start your own studio? So Fries Need Mayonnaise was um, really born um, after I left advertising so I really wanted to work in a nice design studio, um, but I wanted to stay in Brisbane. And um, there's just not that many studios here. I and mean, the really good ones are generally quite small, so it's hard to get in. So I was finding it hard to, I guess, find somewhere that I would really want to work for and that would have an opening. So um, I decided to do my own thing. And um, that way I could really kind of just focus on the type of design that I wanted to do. My partner, he does photography and retouching. Um, him and I found a really great space in an old meat locker. So we decided to set up shop there. So he was running his business from there and I was doing mine. But we did collaborate a lot on, on jobs because whenever I need photography or creative imaging, I worked with him. So I've seen pictures and it looks amazing. So, But explain what a meat locker is. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it was literally like an old meat factory. Those were the old cold rooms. So the actual rail right. was still hanging on the ceiling. Where the, oh, wow. where the meat carcasses used to hang. And it's funny because when we um, threw seven with another, I um, found this artist and she makes these giant felt meat carcasses. Um, so we ended up purchasing <laughs> one of them Brilliant. and have had them hanging in the studio. <laughs> and it was really nice and cuddly. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's it's an old, old cold room of an old meat factory. Talking about fries need mayonnaise, I, the thing I really love, like particularly looking at your, your website, mm-hmm. and I love the way you talked about the work. It's very kind of lighthearted, um, but it really explains the kind of, I guess, the concept in, in a really easy to understand way. So that's obviously you writing that, isn't it? So yeah, the actual pieces of work, that's all me that writing, but then the actual about section, that's me rambling to my friend Sandra Hines who's a fantastic copywriter and her then crafting that into nicer words <laughs> yeah you, you talk about it being quite a small kind of studio obviously it was just you and your partner yeah but you worked on some massive projects yes so I did have um, some freelancers come in from time to time but there was one particular freelancer Robert Henderson, who um, I had a real creative click with. So a lot of the bigger projects were a combo of Robert and myself. Let's talk about one of the jobs, because obviously one of the jobs seems to me like a massive job. It was rebranding the Queensland Museum Network. Yes. How how did that come about? And and how, I mean, was that just you or you and him? Well, that was an interesting one again. So that was actually... um, Ram Brun, who's a, a well-known creative in Brisbane, he um, worked together with Paul, who's very um, fantastic, like a real fantastic strategist. They'd been working with the Queensland Museum Network for, I think, nearly 12 months already by the time they got me involved. So they had been working on the creative strategy on how to rebrand the network. 
and then when it actually came time to like rebrand to do the design part um bram got um, me on board because he really liked my style and he thought i would be the right designer to do that so yes yeah, so i did that with paul and ram and rob was very much involved in that one as well so that was a real privilege to do that one because i've always been quite um into museums <laughs> so uh yeah it was yeah. Uh, it was fantastic <laughs> I, I laugh at that because i've got a friend who calls me her geeky friend who likes books and museums but um, yeah so it was <laughs> a real privilege to get to uh, to actually rebrand the queensland museum network so at the moment you're the creative director at carbon creative yes. so obviously obviously being a creative director to a small team is quite different to what you were doing at fires need mayonnaise Beyond the obvious um, creative development that you experience during that transition to where mm-hmm. you are now, I'm interested in learning about what kind of personal growth you experienced as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I guess, you know, when I left um, the ad agencies and decided to go um, out on my own with Fricing Mayonnaise, I, I really experienced a lot of personal growth because all of a sudden you're you're you know you become more than just a designer you become a business owner as well and you know you have to find the business and you have to talk to the clients directly and um you have to see every project through from from a to z so i i felt like there was a lot of growth there um but then at the same time after doing that for quite a few years and then also going part-time because i had some babies and we moved out to the country and all that um i felt like I, i got to a level where i couldn't really grow any further so going into carbon and then actually building the team there um that yeah that was a lot of personal growth again because all of a sudden i could actually learn things that um i hadn't really had a chance to learn before and obviously like directing a team is one of them because that that's quite a challenge especially when you're used to doing everything yourself but also in in terms of the projects that we're working on like i'm you know the obvious thing i learned an awful lot about indigenous culture but but also like i hadn't um had a lot of exposure to motion design or um like being on film sets i've been a lot on photo shoots but not necessarily film shoots so i've learned um, really quickly on that um we've got a really fantastic um experienced producer here that's really um helped my hands in this first few years and 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 gave me the opportunity to learn on the job which has been really nice um, so, yeah, I actually felt like in, in many areas it could really um, personally grow again as well. And then there's obviously that great thing that you can help the team members to grow as well. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying that part of it. I think we should probably talk a little bit about because for those who don't know, Carbon Creative is 100% Indigenous owned and operated, which is pretty amazing. And plus, it's also a Supply Nation certified supplier, which I actually didn't know what that meant when, when I first read it. Um, and so for anyone who doesn't, understand what that means um it's basically saying that the the, a business needs to be at least 51 percent owned by indigenous australians or and led and managed by an indigenous australian so it's really great to see that this these sort of studios exist and and, you know are doing amazing work i guess my question is what what because you said carbon creative does a lot of film and everything and obviously that I mean, you had some background in that, obviously, from advertising. Mm. But what was it that attracted you to Carbon Creative to, to I guess, take the job? Well, I guess in the first place, when I first joined Carbon, they were very different from what they are now. So I guess what attracted mm. me back then is not necessarily what kept me there, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, so, yeah no, it does. Yeah, so when they first 
successful actually second time they approached me um they offered me two days a week and that was very um attractive to me at the time because i had um two babies at home um so i thought that will still allow me to kind of work on my own clients outside this but then it also gives me two days of income but um yeah i guess quite quickly after i joined um we we kind of really pivoted into that social change aspect and that's what's yep. really eventually kept me and made me, you know, up my hours there and, and actually let go of rising mayonnaise and just fully um, focus on, on Carbon Creative because I just really enjoy the yeah the social um, work that we do here. You're right. So I've got so many questions because <laughs> I guess Carbon Creative like promotes itself as being a social change agency. Yeah. And I guess what you were just saying then is like it, that's that's something you kind of evolved to? Yeah. As opposed, right. yes. Can you can you talk more about how that evolution came about? Yeah. So when I joined Carbon, it was very much half creative agency, half television, and eventually we decided to let the television go because I guess the creative agency also always had to just work to keep the television part going. It wasn't really working for us. And then when it came to the creative agency, we were already getting a lot of jobs that really, I guess you know, set in that indigenous space. Um, so for us, it was a really um, natural progression to kind of build on that, but we really wanted to expand on it because we all felt that we wanted to go be, like, we, we didn't want to just do solely indigenous work. And um, we wanted to just work for, for mainstream as well and, and make sure that we could blend them as well. So um, yeah, I guess we were all very passionate about um, having a, a positive social impact and that's always been Wayne's um, starting point um, and projecting Indigenous people in a, in a very positive light. So yeah, the, the social change impact was a very natural progression, I guess. And just for anyone listening who doesn't know, Wayne's obviously the, yeah, sorry. the owner yeah. of the business. Yeah. 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 One of the things that is really prominent on your site mm. is this idea of good Yes. and exploring what, what good is. I guess... I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on what, what good is, but also how does that factor into your kind of day-to-day work? Yes. Well, we like to say we, we think with our heads, we act with our hearts, but we, we're trying to be a very focused um, and thoughtful studio, very empathetic, that deals in, in good ideas that contribute to positive social change so that make the world better in a way, I guess. And I guess we're, we're all very much aware that no ad campaign or no poster is gonna change the world completely. No. But um, it's it's nice to be. <laughs> Damn it! Exactly. <laughs> if yeah, only. If only. Yes. But it's it's nice to be contributing to um to a shift, I guess. Um, and that's what we try to do with every job that we touch. What's been the most rewarding one you've been involved in so far? There's been a a lot. <laughs> they all have their own importance, you know. I guess. There was um, a particular video about intergenerational, well, not video, a motion graphic project that we did for the Healing Foundation um, about intergenerational trauma that I felt was really rewarding to work on, um, just because creatively we felt we could really make that quite a beautiful piece. But it's been received, you know, really well um, by the audiences, and we still get a lot of people sharing that and commenting on that. Can you explain what intergenerational trauma is? Yes. So intergenerational trauma is the trauma that occurs, I guess, through generations as uh, the result of um, our stolen generation 
um, yeah. and um, yeah, I guess everything that comes with that. So, yeah, I guess it's that idea of you know, some some people in Australia might tell our indigenous people to just move on <laughs> and just get over it. Um, and intergenerational trauma is kind of showing that um, you can't really do that because when um, when the culture when you get ripped from your culture to such an extent, that's going to take many generations before that healing can um, occur. So, yeah. This feels like it factors very nicely into Black Lives Matter and the movement that's happening across the world at the moment. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly it does. Um, I think a lot of our projects um, um, yeah. fit in really, really well there. Um, yeah, it's 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 very inspiring to see the movement at the moment, and all we can hope is that it's not forgotten in two months' time. That's probably my biggest yeah. worry: is that as the news cycle changes, it'll be all pushed under the rug again. Yes, yeah, so I think it's very important that at the moment, while it is in everybody's minds, that we can um, try and you know get as much change through as we possibly can i wanted to talk about this idea of good and the clients you work with mm -hmm. I, I imagine you're being approached by all sorts of clients so not not just ones that are inherently good anyway i guess i'm interested in your vetting process and how you i guess how you ensure that you are working with a with a good company or a good business Yes, well, I guess whenever we get invited to code in something or um, I guess be involved in something, we will try and, you know, do our homework and try and get a real sense if that company or brand is being authentic. You know, it's it's hard to really always know those things exactly, but we try to really yeah. um, find out as much as we can so we can make an educated decision because we very much have a conscious, we are very authentic and we want to work with people that, um, you know, feel the same about um, about our well, about the global issues. So, um, yeah, if we if we get an inkling that um, they're just doing it to tick a box, and that you know, in six mm -hmm. months' time they're going to turn around and do something completely different, we will steer away from it. And we have steered away from it in the past. So, how does that work in the studio? I mean, is it, are we dealing with a? I guess are we dealing with a flat structure where anyone can kind of speak up and and say what they feel? Yeah, well, when, when a brief comes in, that very much goes through the management team. That's not something that gets shared with the whole team yeah. because otherwise nobody gets any work done if we have to go through all the... Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, we do have a very um, flat structure at Carbon. So um, I guess what that means is that we uh, value everybody's opinions and we very much want to make sure that on all the jobs that we work on that we don't just um, get excited about the creative, but we really keep in mind who we are working for and what we're trying to achieve. So whenever we work on our bigger campaigns and our bigger ideas, all our internal whips won't just be with the creative team. They will be with um, the whole team or everybody that's working on their job um, because I think we just value everybody's input and we want to make sure that everybody's across it and everybody has a say whether you can design or not. So that's quite a big difference from what I've you know experienced in the past with other agencies where it's very much more the creative and then it goes into accounts. But yeah, our accounts team is very much um, part of that um, that idea process and they're very much, um, yeah, in, in within every whip and they, they get a say. Which is great. I imagine it slows things down slightly, but obviously the benefits you get from it are, are worth it. It doesn't slow that much down because, I mean, it's just like mm -hmm. what normally would be a, a, an internal whip, but, you know, maybe just 
me being the CD, then all of a sudden we have a few extra bodies there. Um, I think in a way it can speed things up because they might know some um, information or nuances even that that I'm not aware of and that they can point out there and then before we go too far with creative. So I think it can, you know, speed things up as well. Can I ask you about the Indigenous cultural competency that you did as part of the SBS inclusion program? It seems like a worthwhile program to do. Yes, we have worked last year on a a job for SBS on a cultural competence program. Um, so they came to us and um, asked us to help them with the cultural competence program that then in turn they will be selling on to businesses that um, want to have their staff going through cultural competence. It's certainly something that um, you know, is very close to our heart. So um, we worked on that in collaboration with an um, artist called Elizabeth, Elizabeth Close. And she ended up doing a different artwork for each of the topics because there were about 10 10 topics or something like that um, and then we worked with her artwork and um, turned them into both live action videos and um, motion graphic pieces um, that will take people through um, the various topics so it's basically a, a course isn't it, it is it, yes it's very much a course yeah so you just have um, you know each topic will be I don't know how many minutes come quite remember but yeah um, it'll just give you I guess some top line information on Australia's history um, on various Indigenous affairs and topics, um, just to give you some better understanding of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, nation. This is amazing. It feels like like everyone needs to do this in Australia. Yeah, I do think everybody needs to do this. Um, When, when, well, actually everybody that joins Carbon has to do a cultural competence course um, when you first start. So we didn't do the SBS one because that one wasn't around back then. So we did one actually that was a fair bit longer. It was about a ten-hour kind of course. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think it's an absolute must for anyone to do it because we we all learn so much. Like, obviously, I'm not from Australia, so I probably learned more than some people would. Um, but in saying that, my Australian colleagues all felt pretty much the same. That there was a lot of information in yeah. there that they weren't aware of, um, and they found we've all found it very helpful. No, we're not taught that in school. No, that's absolutely. Why. From from someone who's been through Australian, you know, primary school, high school, it's it, a lot of it is hidden, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. which has absolutely baffled me. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine growing up in Europe and not knowing what happened in World War Two. So, how Australians have grown up here and not realised their own history is is remarkable. This is the crazy thing. We probably know more about World War Two than we do about our own history. Yes, yeah, and I guess you know up until. Um, people start to educate themselves and recognize what actually has happened here, that, that's when true reconciliation can start. Um, because as long as people don't know, they, they don't understand the reason why our Indigenous people are suffering and therefore reconciliation can't um, take place. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. As I understand it as well, because like, Wayne does quite a bit of mentorship for Indigenous youth, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does, yeah. Is that something... You bring into the studios. I guess Rain's role is very much on on every Indigenous project in in consulting. Mm-hmm. When it comes to studio artists, he stays out of that generally. That's um that's really um often me that curates that. So I have a long list of um artists that I um absolutely love and that I would like to work with at some point. So um yeah, we we kind of go on project by project base to see which artists would be suitable um to work with us and um. Yeah, that's how we go about that. Because I've noticed in your work, there's there's some beautiful 
art mm. that you've kind of integrated mm. into the design projects and it's you must see some stuff and just think oh i know the perfect client for this or that does happen there's one specific artist called Rico Rennie that I absolutely adore his work. And then one day Spotify rang us for the job. And I was like, yes, this is, this is the one. <laughs> been waiting for this you. is the one. And thank God he said yes. So we got to work with him. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. And there's, you know, some of the, the artists that are on the list, like they, they only work, um, I guess, on, on canvas and uh, with their paintbrushes and others work um, digital as well. So, you know, there's various... I guess parameters that we that we go through like for each project like you know what we what we need and some of them are designers some of them are purely artists so that kind of changed things as well so yeah it's really very much on a project per project base that I kind of pick the artists so I'm I'm not sure how to ask this but I guess there seems to be like there's lots of rules and regulations about how indigenous art is used um, because there's so much meaning in in everything they they, they put in is that something you come up against and, and how, do, how do you manage that? Yeah, so with each um, um, artwork that we commission, the artist will um, end up giving us the artwork, but then um, they also give us their, their art guidelines, essentially. So some artists are fairly loose with it and tell me, just, just use it the way you want it. But others are really specific and they'll actually tell me exactly like what I can and cannot do and which sections I can separate and which sections that need to sit together otherwise I break the story yeah there's very specific right. ways to to work with it um but it does vary from artist to artist which which must be I guess an interesting thing for you coming from Europe mm. where I guess it is a for lack of a better term a melting pot of different styles and techniques and everything to I guess to work with that is would, would be a different mindset it is very different because there's no art style that you're not allowed to copy i guess you can you can have a stab mm. at any of the art styles whereas here right. if you're not indigenous you can't do indigenous artwork um and you certainly can't um attach any meaning for it like you know the the, the indigenous stories are not mine to tell so i can't yep. physically do an artwork like that so yeah that's that's quite a big difference and it was very interesting when i first got here to learn that but yeah, I really, I really love working with all the indigenous artists because they, they do have their own styles, and it's a real privilege to work with them. And it's a real challenge sometimes to create documents or pieces of collateral that um, uses their artwork in unexpected ways. And I get a real kick out of it when the artist actually contacts us afterwards and say, "That's really cool what you've done with the art." So. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, it's great. Brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned before that you collaborated with Reco Rennie on the Spotify campaign. Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so the Spotify um, job came to us. They wanted us to create the branding for the Indigenous playlist, which um, we ended up calling um, "Loud Dreaming." I wanted to have an artist that um, is Indigenous, but also very, very contemporary, and to suit that Spotify brand and the usefulness that is Spotify. So um, I've been uh, loving his work for a long time. I instantly thought of him because I thought he would be right for it. So he um, luckily was keen to uh, to do something for us. So he gave us this artwork and we then animated it and cut it up here and there, I guess, to work with the, all the requirements, I guess, that the brand had to have. The nice thing was we had uh, the Big Sound Festival in Brisbane last year and they actually had one bar that they converted to the First Nations house. So all the artwork got plastered all over that um, building, which is really fantastic to see. I wanted to um, 
talk about because you were doing a talk for Agda Queensland. Yes. Uh, which was entitled Design That Gives a Fuck. I know. I like that title. <laughs> it was a great title. And it didn't actually go ahead, did it? Because it was just on the edge of lockdown, wasn't it? Yes. They, um, the, f- the first lockdown. Yeah, remember? I think they just announced all the speakers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, God. They, um, they announced the speakers and then shortly after that, we all got told that um, it was going to be postponed because of COVID, because we couldn't have the gatherings anymore. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shame. Can you give us a bit of a... I guess, a preview about what what it was you were going to talk about? I guess I thought I would highlight um, the the type of projects that we work on, but then very much talk about how we go about those kind of briefs because they are quite different briefs from what you would get in a normal uh, design studio or ad agency. Yeah, so I was going to talk a little bit about the approach that we have to those briefs. Can we dig into that approach? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how much you wanted to hear. <laughs> um, I want the secrets. Yes, the secrets. <laughs> so I guess um, the way we tackle those briefs, they are, you know, they're not exactly light reading. Like, you know, the briefs are talking about things like discrimination, um, suicide rates. We talked about um, climate change, end of life care, intergenerational trauma. Um, we have briefs about living with disabilities, um, kids that are living in hotels because they're waiting for homes because they have no home. Yeah. It's it's not exactly light reading when we get those briefs, and um, no. we've had our tissues out, you know, quite a few times. So um, the way I guess we we deal with them is um, we we try to go we try to go deep. We try to go as deep as we can. So we try to talk to the um, people that are affected. That sometimes means that we, um, you know, that part of the team goes into country or that we uh, go to the frontline people that, you know, um, might be working in the community services. Um, You know, we work with um, a client, for example, Alders in Queensland. I actually went to some of the workshops to kind of get a a real idea of, you know, what the content is. So we try and go as deep as, as we can, I guess, in the time that we have. Whenever possible, we try to um, collaborate So um, I guess that means that there's a bit of a two-way learning happening. So, for example, uh, for the domestic violence campaign, we've done workshops. So I guess we we collaborate not only with the the client, but we get these, um, what do you call them, like information groups. So we have our yarning circles with um, the um, the, uh, affected people. So, for example, we're working at the moment on a mental health uh, space, brief so there's a group of young people that we um collaborate with and they are kind of with us with each kind of tissue session and concept session that we have to um have an input we've done the same with um some other clients so it's very much like a a a two-way learning system rather than us Mm. just taking the brief and coming up with creative and then saying this is what we're going to do it's a it's a constant collaboration um, between the two parties if that makes sense it seems incredibly immersive. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. one thing that pops up in my head straight away is like, you know, you as the leader of your team, like how do you handle, I guess, the mental health of your team? Because as you said, some of that stuff makes hard reading it, and then hearing firsthand would be even harder, I imagine. Yes, it it is. Um, I think we are all fairly good at um, talking to each other. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like whenever we, you know, it's not the first time that I've walked into somebody else's office and had a cry and, you know, had a vent on. So I think yeah. we, we all do that quite easily. So um, 
that certainly helps. And I think the other thing is you, you have to remember, like we get these briefs and that's that's really heavy. But then at the same time, we also then have an opportunity to start the job, which, you know, like yeah. it's not just that reading and then like, okay, I'm completely destroyed now and I don't know what to do. Then it's like, okay, what can we do to, you know, obviously not fix it, but somehow improve the situation. Yeah, yeah so that, there is that. That's a really good point because it's. I hadn't even occurred to me. I mean, you've you've got that opportunity to bring awareness to something or to to shine a light on something that you know other people should be taking notice of. So yeah, absolutely. I that, and I guess you know, like yeah. in all the jobs that we do, we we try to bring some hope to the party. So we don't ever really go to that um, shock therapy kind of advertising. It's always quite soft. Um, we always try to empower and try to leave people with a sense of hope i guess speaking of empowerment um, a bit of a shameless plug so i run women tour which is a mentorship program for women in graphic design as one of the mentors in the program monique where do you see the future of mentorships in the design industry (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) just just a small question to finish off yeah because i would like to say you know like we should all be great mentors for the next generation but i also know how busy we get you know in the day-to-day and how Mm. hard it is to actually do that so um there's a reason why I don't often have interns here, you know. <laughs> yes, so where do I see the future there? I guess all we can do is try. And, you know, I, I guess you pick your cases. Like you can't mentor every single person that asks for it. But every now and then somebody comes along mm. that really shows, you know, such a high motivation or such great um, potential that you're just going to, give you give that person some time um i know from my personal experiences that you know like before i um even started studying i was just thinking about design i've had some great mentors that you know kind of taught me about the industry and gave me a bit of a heads up of what it's going to be like and steered me a little bit and which way i should go and uh, what would suit me and then throughout my whole working life and and you know, still today, like there's a lot of people in the industry that I would consider a mentor because they've just taught me so much and I'm forever grateful and I can't really, I guess, pay it back because they obviously don't need it as much as I do, but I can pay it forward. So, yes. yeah, if yeah. I can, um, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly try and um, do my best, which is why I really like being part of your um, mentorship program that was um, that was really great and, yeah, I tried to um, – get the odd intern in like i said we, we normally say no to interns but every now and then one comes through that you just can't say no to uh, sneak them through i know but like they do make like <laughs> they do make it just too hard to say no to and that's the people that you really want to mentor so yeah that's wonderful we've kind of reached the end so the question to ask is like how can people find out more about what carbon creative is doing and, and also what you are doing personally so anyone who wants to know more about Carbon Creative can go to the website, which is carbon-creative.com.au. Um, we also have an Instagram page, which is um, Carbon Creative AU altogether, if you want to uh, follow that. And I've also noticed that um, Fries Mayonnaise still has a website. It does still have a website, friesneysmayonnaise.com. It's very outdated though. And then yeah. we, we didn't really get to talk about it, but you did mention it seven with another, which is a, an exhibition that you uh, founded where you put two creatives together from different areas. Also has a website, 
but it actually has been taken over by a Japanese mail order coupon site. So I'm not sure whether you're aware of that. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that, no, but um, I am now. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. We had all the projects on there. Yeah. Do you, is that something you might get off the ground again? I don't know. So I found it seven with another with um, Jessica Haddad from Just Mark, and we very much loved that project. And um, I guess when we stopped, we stopped it because we were both just too busy to keep it going at the time. But um, yep. yeah, I spoke to over the weekend. We still say never say never. You never know when we decide <laughs> to pick it up. I don't know. <laughs> Marella, how can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Studiovertigo.com.au and Instagram at Studio Vertigo and in person in about six weeks time. <laughs> oh no yes of course Sorry. yeah that's all right <laughs> you can find out more about adr um on ozdesignradio.com and if you look on the socials on ozdesign radio you can find out even more so thank you so much for your time monique oh, thank you so much for having me, having me.